This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on News Radio 680 WPTF. 60 minutes devoted to giving you all the information you need when caring for a loved one. With Nicole Claygood and Cooper Linton, here's the host of Aging Matters, Jason Kong. Welcome to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care on News Radio 680 WPTF. Good Saturday evening to you. Jason Kong here with Cooper Linton with Transitions Life Care. Cooper, how are you, sir? I am fabulous. Thanks for asking. Fabulous. Wow. Wow. You're, you're doing some flossing right now? A little dance? <laughs> yeah. Well, pretty good. Personal hygiene is good, but I now understand that the floss is a dance, and I, I, no one wants to see me dance, which is probably why we're on radio. It's it's a great thing that we are on, uh, on only an auditory medium right now. <laughs> yeah, that's better for everybody. That's right. And with Transitions Guiding Lights, Nicole Cleggett is here. How, how are you, Nicole? I'm awesome. Good, good. That's good. You are not flossing right now. You're leaving. Do I need to? Uh, We'll we'll check back in at the end of the show. (laughs) If we've had a good show, I think you can reward us with some flossing. But if not, then uh, we'll save it for next week. Sounds good. Well, uh, lady and gentlemen, we are going to talk uh, a little bit about patient advocacy this evening, and uh, I I don't quite know exactly what that is. So uh, I'll leave it to one of you to explain it to me. Well, we use that word to mean a lot of things. You know, sometimes you're, anytime you're sticking up for something, you're voicing something, you're advocating, what does that really mean? What does it mean to advocate for a caregiver? And what do you need to have in place in order to effectively advocate for a caregiver? Uh, and I think it really helps to have a discussion, actually to set up our guest that's coming in uh, later uh, in, the, in the show this evening. But you've done a lot of this, uh, Nicole, through your work with Guiding Lights. Mm-hmm. What are some of the key issues that you see related to advocacy? And I think you recently actually wrote an article about this. I did, you know, and wearing my social worker hat right now, it is a really big issue that family caregivers face when they have a loved one that has some sort of a chronic condition. They are going to be interfacing with a whole host of different types of organizations, whether it's primary care physicians, specialists, hospitals, um, you know, anything from adult daycare centers to nursing homes, so on and so forth. And all these different settings, they are in a position where they are trying to help their potentially frail elder get access to services and receive quality of care, but they're really afraid about being the squeaky wheel and complaining because folks are afraid of reprisal. They're afraid of, if I say too much, you know, the type of care that my loved one's getting now that I'm not so happy with, potentially, may get worse. Well, they're they're worried about reprisal. They're also maybe afraid of the conflict to begin with. Mm-hmm. Uh, so how do they approach topics in a way that are not necessarily conflict-driven or very confrontationally heavy? And how do you address the concerns that your loved one is going to essentially be penalized because you spoke up for them? You know, and I think you and I both on a personal side have had journeys as caregivers, and we had to interface with lots of different types of organizations. And I think the one thing that folks need to keep in mind is that most people who are working in this field – are doing it because they really care about this population. But I think that gets missed sometimes. It if, does. You, if you look in the media, what we're hearing is, oh, there's, you know, there was a terrible situation in a nursing home. It's all or about the money. Living. Somebody wandered off. Mm-hmm. It's, these people are doing it for the money. And there's money involved in every exchange in our lives. But this is incredibly hard work. And I think people go into it for the most part, for mm-hmm. the for the right reasons. It doesn't mean they're always having their best day. Mm-hmm. doesn't mean we always agree with their choices. Mm-hmm. 
but their intentions generally are good. Especially the folks providing the hands-on care. Absolutely. I mean, they're they're not going to be making a million dollars a year doing this type of work. And, and one of the issues we have is that, you know, the, the people that are doing the hardest work are getting paid the least amount of money, which breeds lots of different issues. And that's really not what we're here to talk about today. But I think, you know, when you're noticing things that are going on, folks are so accustomed to hear complaints. I don't like this. I don't like that. You didn't do this right. You didn't do that right. And people don't really very often tell them the compliments, what you actually did well today. Well, we always think of advocacy as addressing something bad. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so if we use it correctly, we're also thanking people for things that are done well. Mm-hmm. We're complimenting work. Um, that compliment can also further steer, hey, this was really great. That worked well. What if we also tried this with mom? Right. And there's ways to advocate in a positive way that encourage increased dialogue with the providers that Mm -hmm. you're working with. And it really reduces some of the barriers that you have. It doesn't mean you're not going to have tough personalities. Right. In the same way that we also have families that have tough caregivers. Exactly. And I think, you know, one of the things that's really hard for family caregivers, especially when they are handing off the personal care that they've been providing day in and day out at home, they're already riddled with guilt. So they're walking into a situation feeling so burdened with guilt with not being able to do what they thought they were going to be able to do to the end for their loved one. You know, there's a bit of a rub to that, though, Mm -hmm. because we said, well, no one's going to take care of mom, aunt Tilly, dad, whatever. No one's going to take care of them like I do. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's correct. But we're also looking at bringing in help because there's no way to have a sustainable model of doing it just the way I would. One person can't be the total caregiver all the time. Not forever and ever. Not for Well, that's where we end up with caregiver burnout mm-hmm. and we end up with some actually very, very tough situations mm-hmm. in, in families and in homes. So I think we have to accept not necessarily poor care at all. I'm not yeah. at all saying we accept poor care, but there may be differences – and delivery, mm-hmm. because what you can do for your loved one as the spouse or as the child is very different than what someone else can do when they don't have a familiar relationship with your loved one. So I think one of the things that folks can perhaps focus on is giving up some of that physical care responsibility opens you back up to being able to have a relationship with your loved one again. So you can, again, go back to being that spouse. You can go back, again, to being that daughter or that cousin or that best friend versus the person providing that physical care. Well, I have friends of mine who are medical professionals, and they say one of the greatest challenges they have is they don't always feel like they're liberated from their professional job in order to be who they are as a person. And as a person, they are not a doctor, a nurse, a therapist, a social worker. They are a child. They're a spouse. They're a sibling. And how do you get released from some of those caregiving functions, hands-on tasks, to your point, and then allowed to have a greater relationship and use that time to kind of fill up those using the time you have to really fill up those experiences as a loving caregiver and a care coordinator and provide emotional support mm-hmm. to the person you love, not just making sure they're clean. And I think the other thing that people should try to keep in mind is that the folks that you're going to be interfacing with, especially in long-term care settings or even in acute settings and hospital situations where something may last for a week or two on end, 
it's all about communication and building a relationship with those people. So, you know, it's just like in every other relationship we have in our lives, usually where the relationships break down is in the communication. It's not getting your message across. It's going into a situation that's highly emotionally charged and reacting versus thinking before you speak. And that's where the barriers really start to come up. So let's say that doesn't work. I mean, in a perfect world, we would all be able to sit down, have a great relatively sensitive conversation we talk about our shared desire for the best care for the person we love but let's be honest sometimes that doesn't happen we don't get heard uh, or we're not hearing the providers Mm -hmm. either so how do you know what's the next step then let's say you're in a long-term care facility Mm -hmm. where do you go from there well you know there there is really a kind of a protocol that i would suggest following especially if you're going to try to maintain a relationship with that organization try to make it better so obviously you know if you're dealing with the direct care staff and you're not happy with how a particular activity of daily living is being provided let's just say you know mom's not being dressed the way you would like to have her seen um, you know you talk to the supervisors and then if that doesn't get anywhere then you talk to the administrator get involved with the family care councils and 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 talk to the other families to see if they're having similar situations and kind of go at it as a team Um, but then if you're still really not receiving the type of care that you wish that that you had for your loved one the next step I would suggest would be contacting the ombudsman and that's not quite as serious as going and calling that uh, state hotline but the ombudsman really is there to work as a mediator they're free of charge and they come in and they try to work with the long-term care community and the family to try to come to some sort of a resolution for the quality of care for that individual and the last piece that you touched on is in fact the state hotline right if if when all else fails Mm -hmm. um an egregious case it really is it it, it is kind of the uh, pull the cord and stop the assembly line Mm -hmm. moment and that's calling the state hotline uh which actually rings into the department of health and human services and it's monitored and you can lodge complaints and actually get a a regulatory assistance now that's by far not your first go-to and it's not helpful if people call it first they need to work through traditional channels right kind of like uh the emergency room situation that's a it's an option of last resort basically it is absolutely an option of last resort yeah well we're going to continue our conversation here on patient advocates in just a bit stick around you're listening to aging matters care and comfort that surrounds you a service of transitions life care on news radio 680 wptf this is aging matters Care and comfort that surrounds you on News Radio 680 WPTF. Joined by Nicole Cleggett from Transitions Guiding Lights and Cooper Linton from Transitions Life Care. Here's your host, Jason Kong. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. And you can find more about them at transitionslifecare.org. Jason Kong here with Nicole Cleggett and Cooper Linton, and we're talking all about patient advocacy. And uh, this is something that, uh, you know, we, we sort of talked about this in the first segment, but uh, it it seems like a, a critical piece because we talk so much about uh, the role of the caregiver and how often you're just kind of thrusted into this world without any sort of preparation or any any sort of uh, signs that, okay, this is probably going to happen. No, you're just kind of thrown into it and you don't know what you don't know. Well, looking back at it, you usually realize there were signs, but yeah. <laughs> at the time you feel like you were thrown into it. Sometimes you don't yeah. know, yeah, but yeah. to your point, typically mm-hmm. there's a warm-up period, but we go into the natural state of human denial. Oh, mm-hmm. this is okay. This is not a really. This is not really Everything's happening. Fine. Right. Everything is okay, and then till we reach at least a minor crisis that brings us out of our recognition of our of our norm. We get out of our comfort zone. We have to do something different. 
but we may not be prepared to be an advocate or you're dealing with something where there's distance involved. You may not be able to be physically there. And so there's some physical barriers to being able to be an on-site advocate. And I think a lot of times as family caregivers, you know, we feel like we need to know everything about everything and we do lots of research online and, you know, we're trying to really get into the trenches with it all. But the reality of it is every single one of us has areas of expertise and not every single one of us has an area of expertise in the medical profession. So sometimes I think it's awfully important to kind of realize where your weak spots are as a human being and what your knowledge is and think about what could I potentially do to make this situation a little bit better for my loved one? And and sometimes that means bringing in some outside help. Well, for whatever reason, there's resistance to this at times. We'll not hesitate at all to bring a doctor into something. We will mm-hmm. not hesitate at all to call a plumber or an electrician. <laughs> but when it comes to something that we feel like we should be doing, I ought to be able to do this because this is my loved one, without really giving yourself a break and saying, actually, you really aren't trained to do this. Mm-hmm. And that's navigating the complexities of a health system that are unique to each patient's trajectory, their illness, their family circumstance. That is actually a very specific skill set. And it's not even navigating the health system. It's even navigating the disease or diseases that they have. Good point. So we brought an expert on who actually is one of these folks. Uh, We're very privileged this evening to have Jennifer Halloran. Director of Operations uh, with Everybody Needs a Nurse, uh, and she's actually a Ph.D. in this. So she says she's not a nurse, but she is a doctor. No, I speak nurse. <laughs> <laughs> my, um, my, both of my parents are nurses, my mom and my dad. Um, and my mom started this company in um, March of 2007, um, but growing up, that's what we talked about at the dinner table, where everything from very uh, – philosophical conversations about uh, nursing and staffing and things like that to, uh, you know, what showed up, who showed up. With what? <laughs> With what, exactly, exactly. Did you see the size of that pus? Yeah. Oh, wow. We, we heard, yeah. We went This there. was all dinner table conversation. Yes, yes. I wow. cannot be grossed out at all. <laughs> Don't dare us. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I'm not throwing down the gauntlet here. <laughs> So how did you get into this other than uh, genetics? I mean, you truly sounds like you were brought up in a medically oriented home with patient yes. advocates at the dinner table. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, nursing to me, um, you know, in our conversations with my parents has always been um, about advocacy. Um, we, uh, my parents were trained to um, look at the whole person and um, really see what is is the whole issue of what is going on with someone. And they got calls for advice all the time from family, friends, friends of friends, you know, people would be ringing them up asking for, you know, someone's in the hospital, what should we Mm -hmm. say to those, say to the people in the hospital or, you know, what is this on my arm? Yeah, this typical put your foot in your face. You're a nurse. Here, look yeah, at this. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I grew up around that, and um, it was it was just the way – when I was uh, three, I went to the doctor, and I came out of the doctor, and I said, well, the doctor's a nurse too, right? I thought everybody was a nurse. Well, just, everybody is a nurse. And so well, what we found out is that everybody isn't a nurse and that – the benefits that I had of being able to grow up showing something to my folks and saying, what is this? Or how do I do this? Or I've had surgeries and they've been there watching me in the hospital. And I had this, I have had incredible benefits from that. 
but everybody isn't a nurse or doesn't have access to a nurse. And so it's actually difficult to access that information unless you know. And so this business really is bringing the benefits that I had growing up to everyone. And that's what we say, everybody needs a nurse. Mm -hmm. Especially at some point in your life, you definitely do. You do, absolutely. More than, probably more than one point. <laughs> so, you know, in the in the first segment, we were talking about patient advocacy and, and how difficult it can be and, and the need sometimes to bring in an outside professional. Talk to us a little bit about how a company like yours could assist a family caregiver that's really struggling. Well, a lot of times people come to us um, in a crisis. And things have been building up, as you said, for a number, you know, number of months, maybe even some years. Um, uh, one case, for example, um, is a uh, husband who is maybe has some memory loss, and his wife has been the sole caregiver and caring for him. Um, and then we had a we had a, a family a few years ago where the wife was his sole caregiver and she fell on some stairs and had a traumatic brain injury. So all of a sudden there's a crisis. The one person who was caring for this mm -hmm. man is now gravely injured and may not, she was not going to die, but she was uh, going to be different. Going to be different. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And may never regain what she had. And the sons flew in. They were in different parts of the country. They flew in and what they had been hearing about their father's mild cognitive impairment actually was a lot worse than they had thought because the mother was also sort of protecting him. Sure. And That's pretty common. It's very common. And so she was mitigating all of the, the uh, problems that he was having. So he was not being taken care of. He was alone in the home and things were happening. And then also his wife was in the hospital with traumatic brain injury. So we were brought in on both cases uh, to mediate with the hospital and help, uh, you know, clarify what her treatment was going to be and look after him, find a, a residential place for both of them and to, you know, kind of shepherd their, uh, their care. I don't think it's at all, though, unusual for spouses to kind of protect the kids Absolutely. I mean, let's think about it. the nature of just a marriage is you're helping each other. You're looking out for each other. There's an, a baked-in degree of protection, and yet that can actually act as a barrier to the children fully understanding what's going on. And then suddenly something happens. Yes. Yep. Yeah. And there's this wake-up call, and everybody's not tuned in to the real reality of the medical condition. And I think part of that has to do with fear of losing control. Yes. Most older adults are really worried about the day they're not going to be as independent anymore. And so even sharing things that are going on in the home to alert the children sometimes causes great alarm because they're worried about the children coming in and saying, geez, mom and dad, I don't think you should be living alone anymore. Or, geez, mom and dad, I don't think you should be driving anymore. Or, geez, mom and dad, I think I need to be handling your bills now. And that's really scary I don't to give, give up all my that money, up. My car, yeah. my home, my yeah. independence. Yeah. Because I'm still on the inside. I remember my father saying, I don't care how old I am. I'm always a young man inside. Well, and I know a lot of these long-term care communities, they have waiting lists of people to come into them. And every time they call the person, they're at 85, oh, 90, good. 92. Oh, I'm not ready for that I'm not yet. ready. Yes. Because I'm not we're ready. waiting and for they, the crisis. Yes, absolutely. And it, it may be the second crisis or the third crisis mm -hmm. that they're waiting for. There's no clear path of entry. And 
one of the things that we talk about with our clients is that we support them so that they can be empowered to make their own decisions. And they're not, they don't lose control the way they would if people would just move into their lives. We've got Jennifer Halloran here in the studio. She is the Director of Operations for Everyone, Everybody Needs a Nurse. And we will continue our conversation on patient advocacy in just a bit. Stick around. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care on News Radio 680 WPTF. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on News Radio 680 WPTF. Joined by Nicole Claygate from Transitions Guiding Lights and Cooper Linton from Transitions Life Care, here's your host, Jason Kong. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care on News Radio 680 WPTF. Jason Kong here with Nicole Claygate and uh, the man of many names, but today he's going by Cooper Linton. <laughs> And our guest this evening is Jennifer Halloran, and she is the Director of Operations for Everybody Needs a Nurse, and we're talking all about patient advocacy. And, and Cooper, I guess uh, the, the next line of questioning that we need to get into is, is the timing of all this. Well, so many times there's a false perception that if I ask for help in any kind, any fashion, whether maybe it's asking for assistance from friends at church or from, from children or from colleagues – that what we're going down is a path of in, loss of independence. And so it may act as a barrier to really timely engagement. And so, you know, that's just my thought, but I would really like to get Jennifer's thoughts on when should someone call, what are some indicators of this may be that moment or set of moments that bring you to the realization that help is a way to keep independence? Absolutely. Um, I think that you're absolutely right that – um, people feel that they're, they are losing control. And what we found in our business is that this is actually a way to help people maintain control. They get to express what their desires are, what their goals are in a way that um, people are listening and then can activate that with their uh, medical providers and in the home and in different ways. Um, generally, uh, if someone is having you know a lot of times people come to us because they they've just been in the hospital um and you've been in the hospital for a while you're um, discharged you may have some home health come for a few months or a few weeks <laughs> <You're lucky. laughs> or a few days right yeah. you may well that's gotten um, tighter i mean people yeah. used yeah. to think of home health as a very longitudinal yes. relationship with the provider and it's it's just not anymore absolutely it's it's limited by the medicare uh benefits and you um and so that people may come i mean back in the old days they had visiting nurses that would come um, things are so different. <laughs> things are different. And that's one of the gaps that we're looking to fill for people. It's really all about fear. I mean, that's, yes. that's the bottom line. I mean, in most things in all of our, just picture really any major decision you have to make in your life. A lot of it's driven by fear. You either get paralyzed by fear or yes. fear pushes you to do something. Yes, absolutely. And so, or both. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah. Know, the first you're paralyzed and then you're pushed. Yep. Um, people, I think that a lot of times change happens so gradually in people's lives that they realize that they have given up their own independence to try to facilitate their parents' independence. 
and it doesn't work for either well pe- and then they person. resent you and start to resent, resent exactly get overwhelmed you're, you get sick yourself i mean absolutely. It's, the, it's the whole absolutely you, think you can be a superhero just so long and then all of a sudden you're not looking and you slam into a wall and your right. cape falls off right exactly and you know when you, when the caregiver starts feeling like they are overwhelmed and there are many decisions that have to be made and one of the uh, triggers as you you know you had asked about when to call I've seen um, people have families have what I call circular conversations (laughs) where they just have the same conversation over and over again and Mm -hmm. go around and around and everybody Mm -hmm. knows where everybody stands and nobody actually knows enough to break through into a solution. And it's so a trap, then, though. It's, it's, a, a, trap. it's a cognitive it's trap. Or they don't want to rock the boat and potentially create a confrontation. People, well, most people right. are pretty confrontation adverse. I yes. Mean, that's the bottom line. Absolutely. But this goes back to how do we have that confrontation, whether it's advocacy. We can have this conversation. Discourse isn't it, necessarily negative. It doesn't have to be a <laughs> yes. bar fight. In right. fact, it would sure be better if it wasn't one. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and it and will be one if it's emotionally charged with a fa- uh, with a huge when everybody's crisis. sleep deprived in a crisis yeah. in a strange place with and words you don't know. That people, always goes well. People who are, especially the children, <laughs> a family dynamics play a huge role. And a lot of times, people go back to where they were when they were fifteen, oh, all, yeah, or all where the they were when they were seven. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. so you you know this this whole family dynamic happens. And a lot of times people think of, of advocacy, and I think this is kind of where what you're saying is advocacy as as confrontational, right. as oh. inherently confrontational. But w- the way that we see it is as supportive. And we are here to support the families as a whole. And I think things are so much more clear when you're an outside person yes. looking in than when you're sitting there in the trenches. Well, and the, so an outside eye. An outside expert. Yep. Because that's, that's, that's the other part is that, as you said in the beginning, uh, people are people have their own expertise in their jobs. They are not experts at healthcare or the healthcare system. And, and even so if they are, yeah, that's a problem too. That's right because that's you think a, you know everything. But yeah. that's really not a criticism. I mean, mm-hmm. we think of this. Well, you're not being objective, and that right. sounds like it's criticism. Well, the truth is, if your primary role is to be a, the son or the daughter or the sibling or the spouse, your primary function is to not be objective yes the very inherent nature of your relationship with the person you're caring for is predicated on the notion that there is a subjective relationship and so we make this statement and say well this person's not being objective Thankfully. I mean, if parents were totally right. objective about their kids, they probably wouldn't make it past eight. Well, and I think that if let's, let's back up a step here. There is a reason why physicians are not allowed to write their own prescriptions. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. There is a reason. It's very true. You're very subjective. Or if you're a surgeon, you really shouldn't be operating on your own child. Or your own arm. Or your own <laughs> arm, right? So, so why yes. do we think yes. we can sit here and really try to manage a situation and deal with it all 100% ourselves. When the reality of it is, if you even look at some of the highest professional levels, there, there are things put in place to not cause such huge upheaval that we all cause to ourselves on a daily basis in our <laughs> caregiving journeys. It's okay exactly. to ask for help. We all need help. Sometimes that help can come from a close friend. Sometimes it comes from a paid professional. Sometimes it comes from a member of the medical system who walks in and says, hey, this really isn't going the way you think it's going to, and we need to have a real right. candid conversation. is compassionate candor, but it's also courageous candor because 
we can't stay in this paralyzed loop of discussion. We have to make forward momentum, not because it feels good, but because it's the right thing to do for the person that we're trying to care for. Right. And so talk to us a little bit about exactly you know how your organization works. If, if people wanted to get connected with you, kind of what are some of the things that you do and, and how is it paid for? Yes, we um, at Everybody Needs a Nurse, our staff is all registered nurses. Um, and we come in, uh, we have kind of a three-legged uh, uh, system where uh, we make home visits so that we see what's going on in the person's home, uh, not only their their uh, physical, but also how what they're eating, how they're moving, all of those things. We go to the doctor visits with them, and that's a huge issue because even in um, independent living communities and other communities, nobody goes to the doctor. Nobody actually goes to the visit. So when the doctor is speaking, people don't know necessarily understand what they're saying. Uh, someone might have memory loss or hearing loss and not be able to pick up quite what the doctor's saying, or they just feel overwhelmed by it. And then we communicate with everybody. And that's a huge part of this. We, If the children are, no matter where they're living, but especially if they're living out of town and they're not there to put their own eyes and ears on things, we send them a family report after every visit. So there's a huge benefit because what we have found is that parents most parents are not averse to their children knowing what's going on they just don't want to be the ones to tell them they don't want to feel like they're being interrogated or being a burden or being a burden and exactly it's just a hard conversation it's a very hard con- and and a lot of times people feel that their children are sort of coming at them with lots of questions and lots of, you know, lots of ideas. Out of anxiety, mostly. Out of anxiety. Mm -hmm. But if it's all kind of disseminated and comes through this professional in the middle of it, it doesn't have that same kind of dynamics. And people all feel like they're being heard. This helps everyone feel like they're being heard and that everyone has a role to play, but the role is to understand what's going on, but to be that supportive child or spouse. So how does this get paid for? Right now, um, it is private pay only. And Ugh. yeah, means, like everything else. How about long-term means, care insurance? Any chance? There is some long-term care insurance coverage. Mm-hmm. Yes. So we're not talking Blue Cross. So no, unfortunately <laughs> not. Like a Genworth policy or. Right. Uh, right. Right. So somebody that has a care coordination part of their long-term care um, can get can get reimbursed for this. Um, it's it's Medicare is making some moves toward trying to get. Some of this well, it makes um, sense. It would reduce costs in the end. Oh, yeah. Well, they're trying to integrate it into some of the uh, CMMI work of the um, Medicare, Medicare Center for Innovation. Right, and they've done some pilot programs that have been um, amazingly successful, but then not gone into funding. Well, it takes so, a while for these things. Yeah, to so but I right think now it's, it's paid out of pocket. So yes. it's really. But it's worth it. It is worth. Yeah. Well, it saves. <laughs> yes, it saves money. <laughs> It, it saves the family money generally because people aren't, first of all, flying in every two weeks right. to deal with this. But also that worry and that that up all night thinking, that emotional you know, expense. what am I going to do? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And so it also saves people's health because people get sick when they have What's that. What's the best way for people to get a hold of you if they want more information or if they well, want Well, the to- best way is probably uh, our website. It is www 
everybodyneedsanurse.com. And we have a lot more information there about uh, what we do and uh, patient advocacy and how it can help people. Um, and if they uh, want to contact me, my number is 919-475-5354. Um, not and to I'll do the floss, but yeah. I'll, I'll And I will not, I will not floss unless it's FaceTime. <laughs> um, well, Jennifer Halloran, good. thank you so much for joining us this evening. Again, that website is everybodyneedsanurse.com. Everybodyneedsanurse.com. We will uh, be back with more Aging Matters in just a bit. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care on News Radio 680 WPTF. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on News Radio 680 WPTF. With your co hosts, Nicole Claggett and Cooper Linton. Here's the host of Aging Matters, Jason Kong. Welcome back to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care on News Radio 680 WPTF. Jason Kong here with Nicole Claggett and Cooper Linton. And uh, we just had Jennifer Halloran here in the studio talking all about patient advocacy and. Uh, you know, I, I guess we can't really stress enough just how important this is for caregivers to know that uh, there there are resources available uh, for help, that you're not in this alone. Well, I think that's one of the key things we hear from caregivers is that they feel like they're alone. But part of that's also driven by if you're not willing to ask for help, you don't feel like it's okay to ask for help, by default, you're going to end up feeling like you're alone because it becomes self-isolating. It's not typically people's intention yeah. to self-isolate. Well, in the beginning, you've got all that energy in the world, and you feel like you can oh, conquer the world. I've totally got yeah, this. It's just, it's just, it's okay. Well, we think what we're running is maybe a one mile or a 5K fun run. And what it turns into Trip around the world. is a marathon <laughs> or an Ironman. Yeah. And suddenly, that energy, that capacity that we had starting off fades. The other part of it is in the same way that you might hire a coach to help you get ready for that marathon, we need to reach out and find resources. And professional patient advocates are one of the resources that are available to help you navigate this. The bottom line is we are all unprepared to deal with caregiving. None of us go into this completely prepared. And so one of the things that we have coming up um, that I think would help family caregivers become more prepared are the, are the caregiver summits. And the very first one that's coming up is on June 14th at the Sheraton Imperial in RTP. Right, which is a Durham address, but it's centrally located for the entire Triangle region. So it's actually very easy to get to right off of 40. And resources are there, exhibitors are there, such as Everybody Needs a Nurse are actually registered to attend this year. And and folks can actually meet the people that can connect them to the things that their loved ones need to hopefully help them maintain their independence longer. Well, what we hear often is I don't have time to track down someone to help me with uh, reconfiguring the bathroom. We also need a ramp. Uh, We are needing some supplies in the home. I think we need a caregiver, and down the road, we may need to look at placement for mom, but I'm not really sure what that means. Actually, all of those things, all of those services are available in one spot Mm -hmm. during the caregiver's conferences, the caregiver summits, and it's a very efficient way for a caregiver to find out an awful lot of information in a short amount of time. And there's also a number of government agencies that are there, you know, such as area departments on aging that really can connect folks to other types of services that are offered in, via whatever county that you live in. So it's, it is a great opportunity to get connected to the resources. But then on top of that, 
you become feeling like you're less isolated because you are surrounded by hundreds of other people who may not be doing the same exact journey you're doing, but you're all sort of in that same trench together and you're all caregiving. Yes, yes. And so folks really appreciate the opportunity to connect with other family caregivers going through something similar and then to attend a whole host of educational sessions. Well, the education is incredibly valuable because you get to pick what you want to go to. It's not like here's the classes that you have to attend. Hey, you don't sit in a room all day. No. No. I mean, you can, but why would you? There's, There's too much else going on. Uh, so you, you're, it's engaging. There's some movement. There's some socialization. There's a chance to talk to other people who are going through a similar journey that you're on. There's also experts that can help guide you. There's people who are experts in particular resources. Uh, and and the, the people who are, are exhibiting there are actually available the entire day. So you know, I've known folks that said, look, there are two classes that I am thrilled about. Actually, there's one class I don't really want to go to. I'm instead I would rather be in talking with the exhibitors because they have things I need. Fabulous. Whatever makes that day most meaningful for you as a caregiver is how you should spend that day. One of the things we also hear though is I can't I can't get free from my responsibilities as a caregiver. Mm-hmm. To attend this, and we actually have a solution for that. We do. So we have um, partnered with some area adult daycare centers that are able to provide free respite, which means a free break for the day. Um, and you can find out that information on the website with, with whom um, is available per conference by visiting the uh, the website caregiversummit.org. But I want to talk for a second a little bit about some of these sessions because um, I think. You know, people might just think it's you're, you're just sitting there and you're hearing a lot of blah, blah, blah. And, and the reality of it is, is we really try to build these sessions based off of what caregivers have told us that they want. We uh, collect evaluations at the end of every session and at the end of the entire day. And we ask caregivers to tell us, what do you want to hear about next year? What did you enjoy about today's conference? What do you wish was here that wasn't? And that's really how we build these, the agendas for the following years. And we always try to mix in a little bit of how to care for yourself because some people come that day just because they just, this is really a, a mini vacation for them. It's like going to the grocery store. I want to spend a day that's just about me. So there's lots of sessions about, you know, what you you can do to take care of yourself. There are meditation type sessions, th- things of that nature. There are things that have to do with the business of caregiving. You know, there, there's a lot of confusing stuff you pieces. need to know. Yeah, like um, elder care issues. Uh, you know, how to coordinate and create your care team. How to get people on the team that can work with you. Things of that nature. There was a, a class this past year when we did it at the Friday Center. Mm-hmm. Of course, we host you know four of these events a year, and uh, ones at the Friday Center, ones at the McKimmon Center in Raleigh. Uh, the Friday Center in Chapel Hill, and then uh, the Sheraton Imperial there, right there in RTP. Walked in, and my first thought was, you know, no one's going to come to this class. It's kind of boring. It was all about legal stuff. And I stuck my head in the class. <laughs> Every seat was filled. There was standing room only. There were people standing in the doors. And I think it speaks to the point that this is not some sort of lecture series mm-hmm. uh, designed to bore caregivers to death. It really is very driven by their desires for what content they want. Mm-hmm. And we are crafting this to meet their needs, and people are getting what they say is most valuable to them. And we're bringing speakers in who we've already vetted as mm-hmm. really the experts in these topics. And and these speakers are giving their time. They're volunteering to come really teach and engage and answer questions 
uh, and be available to be a resource in addition to the folks who are exhibiting. Yeah, and this is not a, a commercialized event. And so you know, no, people are not. not being sold things. This is literally information that we all it's need. It's not a fake seminar. No. no. no I'm sorry, but we've all, we've all seen these it's, things advertised. Oh, it's a... It's get, get a some free sort steak of, dinner. And <laughs> right, and that's not what this is. You're, it, it, we try to keep the price very, very affordable, but this is not a sales pitch. The trainers, uh, the teachers that are there are not there to pitch their product. They are there to talk about the subjects that have been requested by caregivers and then answer questions. And then you really are not pressured to do anything. They're not trying to sell you anything. What they're trying to do is meet your needs. And I think, um, you know, folks listening today, you know, you may be in a situation right now where you have a very imminent need, sort of an an emergency type situation or something you feel like, gosh, I really don't want to wait till June to get this all figured out. So if I could, you know, folks, you can reach out to Transitions Guiding Lights. Uh, We provide free information, free referral, education and support to family caregivers. And we can get you connected to all the different resources in the community now and then come to the seminar as well and, and get more information. But it's, it's something that we provide as a gift to the community. Well, I actually uh, directed a family to Guiding Lights yesterday evening. And it was because I didn't really know. And people think that, you know, we do this show and therefore mm-hmm. I know all the resources in the community. We know some of them. Mm-hmm. Enough to be dangerous. Right, there's <laughs> hundreds of these exactly. and you can't know them all. And, but there are people who do know them all and they have the database mm-hmm. and they're able to do that investigative discussion and really help people out. And so more often than not, I'm having a conversation to find out what their needs are and then directing them to guiding lights. Uh, to figure out how to help them very specifically at a granular level, you need to call these three people. I don't carry that database around in my head. Now, Nicole, maybe you do. Well, it's in my phone, and people have threatened <laughs> to take my phone out of my hand before. <laughs> Cooper just tried to make a quick, quick swipe. I tried to swipe that phone, yeah. and it didn't work. She was holding on to that thing. That's there. right. That's a, that's I've a learned. Death grip there, yeah. <laughs> can never get Nicole's phone away from her. Well, I want to remind everyone, caregiversummit.org is the website, caregiversummit.org, if you wanted to register for the uh, the June session at the uh, Sheraton in Durham. I also want to remind you, you can go online to transitionsguidinglights.org, transitionsguidinglights.org. Uh, and as, as, you, as Nicole said, that if you can't wait until June and you need some help now, that's the best place for you to find some help and resources to help you out in your caregiving journey. I want to remind everyone, if you want to get a hold of the show, agingmatters at transitionslifecare.org. Agingmatters at transitionslifecare.org is our email address. If you ever have a question, you want to shoot us a line, we'll answer your questions on the program here. And uh, we're, we're open to that, and we'll read every single email that comes in. So we appreciate those who have taken advantage of that. Again, aging matters at transitionslifecare.org. We are out of time for today. I want to thank our guest this evening, Jennifer Halloran with Everybody Needs a Nurse. You can find information about them at everybodyneedsanurse.com. We are out of time for this evening. On behalf of Nicole Cleggett and Cooper Linton, I am Jason Kong. Thank you so much for listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care on News Radio 680 WPTF. Have a great night. You You've been listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on News Radio 680 WPTF. For more information, log on transitionslifecare.org.